We are back with another episode of the After the Time Out podcast. Today's guest is Shimmy Gray Miller, assistant women's basketball coach at the University of Minnesota. We have a great conversation with Coach Miller about her playing career, as well as her transition into coaching, and much, much more. Coach, let's start with our opening tip. Uh, we, we like to do our, our homework. Um, so we, we read a story that when you were growing up, um, you, you kind of began playing ball on the backboard that had, you know, no, no rim before your mom kind of bought you like a miniature hoop. Um, take a, We just wanted to go back to when you started started playing basketball and like what, what made you fall in love with the game so so early uh, and, you know, and keep, and keep going. Uh, I'm laughing right now because you guys – you guys went way back. I, I don't even know where you found that from. That's pretty good. Uh, shout out to your research team. Um, but uh, so I grew up in Flint, Michigan. And uh, so for the first four years of my life, I, we actually lived in the projects. And then we moved to a house on the north side of Flint. And I had two older brothers. My brothers are 10 and 11 years older than me. So I'm, you know, I just wanted to, to hang out with my brothers and we had this basketball hoop and their older friends actually uh, dunked down the rim. They ripped the rim down. And so my mom said she refused to, to, you know, to replace it. And so I would see, you know, if my brothers were playing basketball and, and I just, I just wanted to be like my big brothers. And so I didn't even have a real basketball. It was one of those little, like that you get in the supermarket, you know, the little, like, plastic ball things that you could play kickball with or whatever. And that's what I use. And I would just go out there by myself and just do what I saw my brothers doing. And it was actually my brother, my oldest brother, Robert, who actually bought me for Christmas, my first uh, adjustable little kid's hoop. And it was a little Nerf ball and the adjustable and he would play, he would get on his knees and he would play with me and uh, he would block my shot every single time um, from his knees. Um, but that, so that's kind of how my love of basketball began. It's, I just wanted to do what my big brothers were doing. We, we do like to do our homework and, and I did have, actually find a, a very old story. I, I think when you were the head coach of SLU, that's how I found that information. Well, um, good job. <laughs> well, the, the other thing we wanted to hit with you before we get into really the talking about basketball and recruiting and et cetera was <clears throat> we saw that. Uh, you guys, when you moved to Flint, uh, according to the story, you were talking about how you were the only African-American student in the school. Um, you know, so what, what was, take our listeners through, what was that experience like, you know, whether it was on the court playing basketball, off the court, um, and kind of what did those experiences teach you? Um, okay, so so here here's the, the little, the deal. So I, like I said earlier, I, I lived in the projects. And my mom was white. So actually, uh, my mom is white. I'm, I'm biracial. My father's black. And we lived in the projects. And my mom was one of the only white people to, that lived in the projects. Then we moved to Flint, to the north side, which is city, all black, all African-American. So I went to a school, a big school, where um, maybe we had maybe 10 you know, white kids. Um, but everyone else was black, but I got picked on a lot because once again, I had, you know, the only white mom, you know, in the hood. And so I got called zebra and, uh, you know, kids are cruel and, yeah. you know, and so salt and, salt and pepper, zebra, uh, mixed girl, white girl, I all got called all that. 
and now, and now I'm in fourth grade and my brothers, like I said, they're 10, 11 years older. So they've graduated high school. They, they left, they moved to Texas and it was just me and my mom and she didn't feel safe in the neighborhood anymore. So now we moved to Flint Township. Uh, so not really the suburbs, it's a township. And uh, so it's outside the city limits, uh, still a Flint area, you know, zip code and address, but it's outside the city limits. And now I'm the only black kid in the school. And so, you know, uh, I got picked on because I, I talked differently. I'll never forget, I'll never forget this, you guys. Um, I had surgery when I was in fourth or fifth grade. And so my class, they made me cards, you know, handmade cards and the teacher delivered them to my house, to our apartment. Actually, we lived in an apartment. Me and my mom moved to a two bedroom apartment. And uh, one of the little boy, he wrote like, I'm, I miss you, we miss you and all the things that you say. And he was making fun of the way that I, that I talked. So I didn't say ask, I said, ax, you know, I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. We're, you know, and that's, I, that's how I grew up talking, you know? And, um, and so he drew a picture of a guy like hitting a, a, a kid with an ax. And he's like, you know, let me ask you a question. And first of all, can you imagine in 2021, the teachers now proofreading these cards and letting that card, you know, no. get no. out. But, you know, I mean, this was in the eighties and, and I, and even as like a nine-year-old, 10-year-old, however old I was at the time, I remember thinking for the first time, I'm different. I talk different. They see me, I'm different than, the, than, than I'm different than everyone else. And it was the first time that I realized that I was different and that not only was I different, but I was seen differently and, uh, and, it, and it hurt. And so uh, I, was, I became very intentional about uh, how I spoke, uh, what I said. Um, I would enunciate my words, uh, ask, ask. Can I ask you a question? Um, you know, uh, I remember uh, another instance where we, I was at like a slumber party with a bunch of girls from my class. Once again, I'm the only black, black girl in the, in the house and someone said the N-word and then they looked at, everyone looked at me and then they said, but no offense to you, Shimmy, we don't, you're not one of them, you're one of us. Um, so it was, you know, to, to grow up kind of like trying to navigate that. So Monday through Friday, I'm the only one, black kid in the, in the neighborhood. And then on the weekends, I go back to visit my cousins in the inner city and they've started noticing that I'm talking differently now. So now I go back to hang out with my cousins and they're like, why are you talking funny? And I'm like, I am. And they're like, yeah, you're talking funny. And then I go back. So, I mean, that, that, that's tough. You know, that was really tough. And a lot of credit to my mom. Um, she never uh, allowed me to forget who I was. Um, you know, she kept me very much um, uh, rooted and entrenched and connected to my black family and, and friends, but it was a very difficult time for me navigating. And I think that's, uh, as we bring sports into it, I think that's probably why I uh, really kind of gravitated towards sports. I didn't just do basketball. I also ran track and uh, sports was on the, on the court or on the track. That was the one place where it was okay, you know, for me to be different. I stood out in a different way because I was better than everyone else. And I wasn't the black kid or the mixed kid or the black girl who talks like a white girl. Um, I was uh, number 33, or I was the athlete, or I was the captain, or I was the track star, or I was the basketball star. 
And uh, so basketball, track, sports, they became kind of like my safe place, a place where I felt like I fit in. That's, that's a perfect lead in because you mentioned the athlete piece. Uh, we kind of want to talk about when you were recruited. Um, you know, you were recruited all, all over the place. What made you choose, choose Michigan? And then how did that experience being recruited affect the way you recruit athletes today? Um, so I'll give you the simple story, the real story. I don't know if I've told this story. The reason I chose Michigan is because Michigan State dropped me. Uh, I wanted to be a Spartan. I wanted to go to Michigan State. And uh, they dropped me right before, um, I think they dropped me the summer before my senior year. And then Michigan actually uh, saw me at a tournament. I played really well. And then they started recruiting me. So uh, that's why I went to Michigan. Um, that's the truth. Now, everything happens for a reason. And uh, I'm I obviously, you know, uh, I made the right, the right choice. Everyone made the right choice. I hate Michigan State. Uh, not as much as I hate Ohio State though, but I hate Michigan State. Um, but, uh, so with one, the one thing that I was able to get out of, um, my experience with recruiting that's carried over to how I recruit is just relationships. The coaches that, um, that knew me, you know, that took the time to, to, to get to know me as more than just a basketball player. I, the coaches that just call and all they want to do is talk about basketball and, you know, and, and so to this day, I like to ask questions. I like to ask you know, recruits questions. Um, I know how you are as a basketball player and all the recruits are going to say the same thing. They're all going to say, I want to play in the WNBA, yet they can't name two WNBA players. You know, um, I want to play at the next level. I want to, you know, but I want to know like who you are. Um, I want to know like your who factor, because then I think that that drives, you know, everything else um, about you. So here's an interesting follow-up. So now you're at Michigan, you know, we had to bring it up. We noticed that you were there the same time as the Fab Five. So what was that experience like? Maybe as a women's basketball player, while the men's basketball team is clearly getting a lot of attention. And what do you kind of remember about that experience just with them on campus? Um, and then my favorite follow-up is, did you guys ever get to play any pickup with the men's side? Um, so that was wild. Like it wasn't just the Fab Five. Desmond Howard, I also went to college with Desmond Howard. Um, you know, our hockey team was really, really good. We had uh, uh, several guys who've gone on to have great, you know, illustrious NHL careers. Our hockey team was excellent. Uh, I, uh, some Olympian swimmers, Eric Namesnick, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him or not, won a gold medal in the Olympics. Like, so it was just wild, like, to be a Wolverine during that time. And Chris and Jalen and Juwan, those guys, um, you know, they were fun. We hung out with them. They were, we, we were friends. They were, we would hang out together. Um, but you know, with that being said, Michigan has come a long way. Uh, we were just there a couple of weeks ago to play and they have this, these amazing facilities that are available to both male and female athletes. They've come a long way, uh, since the early nineties, um, and how they treat their female athletes. And, uh, so what we would do is we didn't get training table, female athletes didn't get training table, but the men's basketball players and the men's football players did. So then what you would do is you would just date one of them. Um, pretend to like a football player or a basketball player so that you could get, they would give them these pizza cards or subway cards so that you could get, you know, pizza cards or subway cards or, or they would bring you a to-go box from their steak and, you know, from their steak training table or something like that. Um, but it was a great time to be in Ann Arbor during, during the early nineties. 
All right, so let's talk about like how you, how you got into coaching. I, I think we read like you wanted to be a police officer initially. Um, so I guess kind of what was first part of the question is what made you want to be a police officer, you know, coming out of school and, 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 you know, transitioning into your professional, I guess, professional job career, not playing career. Um, I've always wanted to be a a cop. Um, you know, I, I wanted to be an archeologist when I saw like a documentary when I was like in sixth grade of, um, the guy who discovered uh, King Tut's tomb. I think his name was Howard Carter. And I was like, oh, I wanna be an archeologist. And then I found out that, that that requires math and science. And so I was like, no, I don't wanna be an archeologist. Um, but uh, I, I don't know why, um, but probably uh, since my ninth grade, 10th grade uh, year in high school, I've wanted to be a police officer. And I even did ride-alongs uh, in high school. I did ride-alongs in college. Uh, I, ma- I majored, well, we don't have majors at University of Michigan, so that's snobby school. We have concentrations and sub-concentrations. Um, so I concentrated in sociology and I sub- got a sub-concentration in law, criminology, and deviance. And the whole plan all along was I was going to be a police officer. In Michigan, the retirement um, in most departments is 20 and out. So I was going to be a police officer for 20 years. I would retire in my early 40s and then go to law school. Like that was my whole plan. And, um, you know, what, what do they say? Life is what happens when you're busy making plans, something like that. And so uh, two years in, I was two years in and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't me. Um, I, I was every day. It's like, uh, I, I'm surrounded by the worst. Like you, you know, for whatever reason, a firefighter could walk in and everybody loves the firefighter, you know, uh, everybody needs the paramedic, but the cop walks in and every, it's like, boo. And so I was, I saw the worst in people and we worked 12 hour shifts. I worked at uh, Ypsilanti police department and we worked 12 hour shifts for 12 hours a day. I'm like seeing the worst in people. And uh, I'm an optimist. Uh, I'm a positive person. Um, I'm a glass, you know, half full person by nature. And it was really having an impact on me. I was becoming cynical and sarcastic and mistrusting. Um, and I just, I just wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. And, and I looked around and I saw all these cops that I worked with and they had like nice things. They had like trucks and motorcycles and ski boats, and jet skis and things like that, but they weren't happy. And, um, and I didn't want to be that, like, I didn't want to be that person 10 years from now or 20 years from now. And so I was still young enough where I could bow out gracefully. And that's what I did. And um, I just, you know, I try to not make decisions based on emotions, but I also am not going to stay in a situation that doesn't bring me joy. Joy is one of my core values. And so I, it was, you know, really dramatic. I literally walked in one day and I was like, I turn, I'm going to turn in my badge and my gun. I'm out of here. And I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I I didn't know what I was going to do, but I I knew what I wasn't going to do. And so I, uh, I, um, I went and I moved back home. I moved back home to Flint to my mom's and I got a job at a gym and I started working out that I could work out for free after hours. I worked the front desk, I cleaned the bathrooms um, and uh, you know, and I started working out again. And so I hadn't picked up a basketball in over a year and I lost a lot of the donut weight that I'd gained. And I started training again and I, and I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, this brings me joy. 
And um, so from there, I, uh, I got an agent and I ended up uh, doing a tour with Athletes in Action and I got seen and I got a contract and next thing you know, I'm in Portugal. Um, and then from, I played until I couldn't play anymore. And now 23 years later, I'm coaching. Um, universe is, it's, it's, it'll give you what you want. You just have to pay attention to it. Kind of a, I guess, kind of a perfect transition then. You talked about playing in Portugal. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that experience and, and you know, like, I guess some of the differences in the game, because you see a lot of basketball now. So some of the differences, the game in Portugal compared to maybe Europe or, or, or America and, and just what your experiences was like down there and some of the, some of the things that you experienced. It was wild. Like Todd, John, like I, I told you guys, I, I'm from the projects in Flint, Michigan. Right. Uh, so for most of my life in Flint, I lived in a two bedroom apartment on the third floor with me and my mom. And now I'm like, I wake up. And I, I, I played and lived in Coimbra, Portugal, which is a small town, has the oldest university in Portugal in this town, like one McDonald's, you know, like it's not like that, it's not a big city. And I would wake up every morning in my tiny little bed and I would look, open up my window and I'd look out and it's literally like this countryside, this picturesque countryside. It was surreal, like for, from a kid from Flint, like, are you kidding me? And, uh, so the, the biggest difference uh, for, with practices is we did a lot of drills. Like we didn't scrimmage a lot. We just did, we would do layup lines for like 20 minutes. I'm like, bro, right? I know how to make a right-hand layup. Right-hand layup for 20 minutes, left-hand layup for 20 minutes, you know, pull up jumpers, 20 minutes, you know? And, but just so fundamental, like the emphasis is on offense over there and it's, um, incredibly fundamental, really skilled. We work on passing and it felt like I had uh, like just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't even like college. It was like, you know how you go to camps, like when you're like in middle school and you go to chalk bake, right hand. And that's what it was like. Um, but the players over there are just incredibly skilled. Um, and I, we had like 13 year old kids on our team, um, you know, and so uh, I just, it was just the emphasis on fundamentals, which I love the emphasis on offense, which I loved. I had a lot of free time to explore, which I loved. Um, I feel like I really, you know, grew up, uh, over there and I, I was so uncomfortable that, uh, but it was uncomfortable in a good way. Um, I grew and I, I don't, I feel like I've, I've never been the same. Uh, I did not return to Flint after Portugal. Um, in fact, uh, that's really when my thirst for um, just travel and exploring and just living in different places, um, it, it, it was rooted uh, in my experience in Portugal. Um, it was great. Like, I, I'll tell you guys a funny story, though. One time the coach was, I did not understand the language. By the time I left, I was able to read a paper or if, if they talked slow enough, I could catch it. But my coach didn't really speak English. And so it was halftime. And he was like going off and I could just hear him say, she me, she me like over and over. And so I looked at, you know, one of my teammates, Christina, and I said, what is he saying? And she looked at me and she said, trust me, you don't want to know. But if I were you, I would play better in the second half. Um, so I said, okay, I got you. And I did, I did. But, um, but I love that Portuguese experience. And I feel like it uh, really kind of shaped me um, where I would be headed for the rest of my life. 
So we actually ask a lot of coaches this question, but is there anything that <clears throat> as American coaches, we can take from European coaches to better the way we instruct or teach the game here in America? Fundamentals. I mean, fun fundamentals. You know, I mean, we, you guys, we're all coaches and we go to these tournaments and in the summertime and the spring and it's just games, 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 games. But we get, I get kids, I have kids that are right now that are juniors or senior in college and they cannot, you know, make a left-hand layup. They cannot dribble with their left hand. They cannot pass with their outside hand, you know? And, uh, but they can do a Euro step, which they don't even do in Europe. You know, they can do, you know, they can do step backs and, you know, but they can't make a left-hand layup or pass with their outside hand. So fundamentals, the emphasis needs to be more on fundamentals and one-on-one -on -one and three-on-three -on -three and less on playing like three games a day, uh, you know, in a, a three-day tournament. Um, it's ridiculous to me. So if that's the one thing that I, that I would say is, is, is fundamentals and uniform, like uniformity, like in Australia, they have, um, it's amazing. They have like their training center and they teach like all of their coaches train under this training center. So they send out instructional videos each, each week or each month that, all of the youth coaches are then instructed and used as guidelines to teach their, their young players. And um, we just have this, uh, this great um, void of fundamentals at this level. Quote of the episode is, they don't even do the Euro step in Europe. <laughs> um, so we wanted to hit on two organizations. And again, we've talked to multiple guests about this. I know we talked to Lynn Dunn a lot about the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. Um, you know, how do we continue to get more African-American women involved in the coaching side, especially um, getting them to have more opportunities to be head coaches? And then how do we just continue to grow the women's game overall? Um, so I think it's happening. I, I really do. I mean, if you look at the landscape right now, when I was uh, – a head coach at St. Louis in 2005. I, I think I was only one of what seven D1 uh, female head coaches, black African-American black head coaches that were out there. Um, and now you look at that number, it's grown exponentially. Um, obviously not at the rate that it needs to be, but it's, it's growing. I think organizations like WBCA, um, the women of color um, organization, which kind of grew out of a need because the BCA kind of kind of went away for a little bit. Um, coaches, like you mentioned, Lynn Dunn, who is, is such a great uh, force. She's a force uh, for um, growing our game and, and, and women. Um, I think it's happening. You have other organizations. We coach, which isn't specific to basketball, but for women coaches of all, of all sports at all levels. So you've got some great um, resources that are out there. And, uh, I, and I feel like um, the mentoring is, is, is occurring. Uh, you know, um, representation is, is happening. Uh, we're being more vocal about it. I know uh, Morgan, uh, I, I believe her last name is Crespo. She has this, these shirts out more than a recruiter, more than a coach. And I know that female African-American black coaches have really embraced that model as we are more than recruiters. 
Um, and then we're, we're proving that um, by uh, doing the work, we're putting in the work, we're doing the work at a rate that we weren't doing 20 years ago, um, as far as the X's and O's, um, you know, uh, standpoint of the game. You see more African-American coaches at the clinics. Uh, when 20 years ago, you go to WBCA co uh, clinic, there weren't any black female coaches presenting on X's and O's. We were presenting on recruiting and, you know, and building relationships and things like that. Um, so it's, it's happening, you guys. Um, just probably not at the rate that people would like, but it's happening. When, I, when you look at what it was like 20 years ago when I first started compared to now, uh, it's, ha it's happening. So you, you mentioned in, the, in that answer that your time as a head coach at St. Louis. Um, and then you also mentioned your personal like core values and, and pillars. So when you started at St. Louis, what were some of the key pillars and, and values that you wanted to establish um, going in there? And then conversely, um, I guess like a little two part. So I guess it's going to be a three part. Is there anything you, you wish you would have established that you didn't? and maybe some advice for a first time head coach. Um, yeah, so I'll just kind of wrap this all up in, into one. So when I was the head coach at St. Louis University, I was 32 years old. And uh, I had only had five years, six years of a coaching experience, uh, one at the JUCO level and then five as an assistant. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was not qualified for the job. I'll be the first to admit that now. I didn't seek the job. They, they reached out to me. So, I mean, you know, they contacted me and I interviewed, I went through the interview process and I was the best of the interview or however they felt they offered me the job and I took it. And in, in hindsight, I wasn't ready to be a head coach and it was not a good job. We had terrible facilities. You know, they had, uh, there had been a, uh, they had had one winning record in like 21 years. Um, it just wasn't a, a, a program um, that was, you know, destined to succeed. And, um, but I did it because I was young and dumb and, and I had this massive ego. And, but I also had an athletic director, Cheryl Levick, who I'm incredibly grateful for. It's one of the few female athletic directors in division one at the time. And she trusted me. She saw something in me before I even saw it in myself. And she was going to be a mentor to me. She wasn't just going to be my boss, but she was going to mentor me. And that's what she did for two years. And we, we did pretty good for, for the first two years. In fact, good enough that I got a contract extension after my second year. But then she got fired. Um, politics, you know, she butted heads with the president. And she got fired. And so then I went my entire third year with no AD. And then I got an AD who came in and um, it's really hard to be successful at any level if you're not supported by your administration. And, and he had a vision of, of what he thought the program should look like. And it was completely different than what I thought. And we butted heads and eventually he let my contract ex expire. So, you know, I was gone and that's that. But now in hindsight, here's the deal. When I came in, I had for my interview, I had this book, you know, that everyone has. And it had, I had like a mission statement and I had a philosophy and I had, um, you know, my recruiting philosophy and I had a vision and I had, you know, and I was all like, and, but here's the deal. None of it meant anything. It was like, literally it was stuff that I had got, gotten from like the internet, or I had a book that I, that I would keep. Like when I'm a head coach, I'm gonna, 
you know, do this. And, and half my stuff wasn't even my own, you know, philosophies. It was stuff from like Bob Stoops and, you know, like all these other uh, great head coaches that I admire. Gino, well, I'm not Gino. I'm not Bob Stoops. I can't take their stuff and then just rewrite it as mine and pass it off. But that's, but I didn't know what I was doing. So now let's fast forward years later, it's COVID and I'm doing a lot of like personal growth and I'm taking a lot of online classes and things like that. And so um, I, I did uh, my strengths, you know, I did the strengths finders. And so I developed my strengths and from there I developed my core values. And, and then it was kind of like, oh my gosh, this is what I was missing, you know, and 20 years ago in 2005 or however long it was. I didn't have any core values. I didn't have, no wonder I failed. I, I had a vision and a mission statement and a philosophy and strategies, but I had no core values. And your core values, like that's, that's your foundation. That's what you build anything on. And if your foundation isn't solid, if it's not grounded in your core values, then at some point, at some point it's gonna crumble. And so that's what I was missing in 2005. Um, I didn't have core values. I didn't even know what my non-negotiables were. Um, now in 2021, as a 49-year-old, I know what my core values are. And those, that's, that, that's like my North Star. Like that guides me. That guides me in decisions, whether or not I'm taking a job, relationships, recruiting, whatever. My core values um, is, is my North Star. So for any young coach out there, you've got to figure out like who you are what you're going to stand for, what your non-negotiables are. And I think, and you also need to figure out your strengths because the, the more time that people work like in the realm of their strengths, um, the more engagement, the more enthusiasm, the more passion, the more satisfaction you're going to have. Um, and so there's so many people out there that are like, I want this, I want this, I want this, but you don't even know who you are. So how do you know what you want when you don't even know who you are? Um, and that's the difference between 2021 shimmy and 2005 shimmy. Um, and so it's taken me a long time to figure that out. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like my whole win the day. If you follow me on Twitter, you know, I say that a lot. That didn't come from a place of like, um, you know, of just happiness and, you know, uh, euphoria. Win the day came actually uh, in my last year at St. Louis when I knew that my contract was going to be up and I wasn't going to be renewed. And so I didn't want to just get through the season. I wanted to win the season, regardless of, of record on court records. But I only way I could do that is by each day, you know, I got to win this day. And I owe that to the, to the players on that team. And so I actually measure how I win each day. I win each day. The first thing I do is I show up prepared with the right attitude. Um, the second thing is I'm engaged. You know, I've got to be engaged with directed uh, effort. And then I want to give energy to what's in my heart. And then lastly, I control the controllables. And if I can do those four things, then I've won the day. So it was interesting as you were, uh, as you were answering that, it actually led into my next question perfectly. Um, so you've been an assistant at, at and I'm, I'm going to leave some off, but I believe Florida, Minnesota, Arizona, Washington, Nebraska, Texas Tech, Clemson. How'd I do? I think you did. I think you, I think you got it. I think. So I think an interesting question for you is at each of those stops, and you kind of started to talk about it, but how did you develop individual relationships 
with your athletes at each stop. Obviously, those are very different places, very different parts of the United States, sometimes very different places to recruit from. How did you develop those relationships? Well, just by being myself, that's the easy and the very simplified answer. Um, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about my strengths. Um, and so I did this through, um, what is the strengths finders? Um, uh, Clifton, Clifton, Clifton. And ironically, my, my five strengths, my top five strengths are intelligence. And um, although I'm a Michigan grad, and I would love to say that, you know, that means IQ, it really doesn't. It's th that intelligence is more about like my creativity, um, things like that. Um, but then my other strengths are developer, adaptability, connectedness, and relayer. You know, so if that's not like what you just described, you know, bouncing around from place to place and being able to build relationships and recruit and, uh, you know, adapt, um, then I don't know what is. Um, so. All right. So we want to move into our last two segments here. Uh, first one is called 30 second timeout. It's your platform to talk about anything you want to discuss. It could be basketball. It could be family, uh, something you're passionate about, charity, whatever it may be. Uh, your, your very, very loose 30 seconds will really give you all the time you need um, to talk about something you're passionate about or, or something you want to talk about. All right. Uh, Goods for Greatness. Uh, it's a charity that I um, kind of stumbled upon a few years ago. Someone reached out to me about it. And what it is, it's an organization that provides athletic equipment, new and used, for underserved kids um, so that they can play sports. I was that kid in Flint, Michigan. You know, I didn't have the nice shoes. I didn't, I didn't even always have a basketball or a rim, as we talked about earlier. Um, so this organization, it provides equipment for those kids who wouldn't be able to play sports because they don't have a baseball bat or they don't have cleats or they don't have volleyball pads. Um, and so you can find them on Twitter, on social media. Um, they have a website and it's goods for the number four greatness um, it's a wonderful organization. Uh, they take cash donations or they take, um, you can donate your, your slightly used equipment that you don't use anymore. Tennis rackets, golf clubs, basketballs, pennies. Um, and then uh, Rian Potkey does a phenomenal job of finding and distributing them to kids all over the country. Um, it's just a wonderful organization that I've been involved with for a few years. That's, that's awesome, Coach. Thank you. We will definitely put that on our, our Twitter and, and shout them out um, because that is important. If they don't have the equipment, they can't participate. Um, so we wanted our, our, this is always our favorite segment. We call it quick hitters. Uh, some of our stories are going to have to do with actual basketball and some of our questions are going to have absolutely nothing to do with basketball at all. This is where we just like to have a little fun. Um, so our first one is for you. What's your favorite like high school sports memory? It could be a game, an experience, hanging out with your teammates, just something you remember. Uh, my first uh, game on varsity, the youngest kid on the team, uh, really, really excited. Uh, your girl um, scored on the wrong basket. Okay. And I did not, and everyone was laughing and I didn't know why. And I was like fist pumping. I was like, yeah running down the court and the senior looked at me and she was like, you just scored on the wrong basket, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, in game water or Gatorade water. I don't even like Gatorade. Oh, okay. Perfect. All right. All right. After, so it's a, you're at Michigan or you're playing Portugal. 
after the game, hot tub or cold tub to recover? Cold tub. Cold tub. Oh, I, I would agree with you, Coach. That. I agree. I agree. Yeah. All right, so uh, other team scores with seven seconds left. Timeout or letting them play? Play it out. Oh, this is probably one of the reasons why I got fired at St. Louis. <laughs> um, I want to let them play. I mean, I, I, you know, I do believe that you have to work on your end-of-game situations every day, every day. Um, but I mean, especially if you've got a point guard, a dynamic point guard, I, I, I want to let them play. If, if, like right now we've got Jasmine Powell here at Minnesota. I'm, I just want to let her play. Just go, go make a play. All right. So I, I just tweaked this one favorite food, but that other people may not like, is there a food that you like that other people are like, that's gross. That's easy. Cause I'm a vegan. So almost everything I like, everybody thinks is gross. <laughs> Uh, I can hook some tofu up. Uh, how many different ways can I make tofu? Um, I'm up to like 16. Uh, so I'm going to go with tofu or kale. Okay. All right. Uh, favorite Twitter follow? Uh, um, so I have a Twitter rule. Uh, if I'm going to follow you, it's because you're going to teach me something or because uh, you're going to make me laugh. Um, so... Uh, I'm going to go with uh, um, New York Times Daily, probably. It's my favorite Twitter follower. Um, or maybe some random comedian that I follow that, that made me. Oh, you know what? I take it back. Room Raider. Room Raider. I started following them during uh, COVID. They rate. They, they like take screenshots of different Zooms and interviews and people are doing Zoom like this. Like they would take a screenshot of this and then they would rate my uh my room um you get points for like aesthetics i would probably probably get a six out of ten on this oh, i'd have been in trouble when i was doing these in my garage i'd have been i would have gotten blasted john yeah todd you're gotten... pro- you would probably get like a three right now that's, that's um, all right you are right now that's all right i'm, I'm okay with it i think <laughs> all right coach we're, we're interested just finish the episode what is everybody does this with new year's coming up do you have like a word or a phrase or a thought that you want to go into 2022 with? Uh, uncontrolled, uncontrolled. I want to be uncontrolled by the thoughts, the opinions, um, the intentions, the motivations of others. Um, and I, I want to be, I want to stay focused and control my controllable. So uncontrolled would be my word. So coach, as we wrap up, honestly, this was one of my favorite episodes in terms of energy. You mentioned your energy multiple times during uh, this episode and it's, it is, it's very contagious. Um, you're so positive. You're so energetic. You're so welcoming. Uh, so we can't thank you enough for, for joining us and telling your story. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out to me and, and inviting me on this. I've, I've had a chance since we first connected. I've listened to about six of your episodes now. I'm a fan. I love uh, just the diversity, the range. Um, you know, I, I just, uh, my favorite was probably the uh, Julie with basketball psychology. I've actually shared that with the rest of the staff. That was such a good episode. So thank you for what you do and how you grow our game. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Flicky. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. 
for show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching After the Timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more coaching content in-game, out of the game, and anything in between.